members of the Vice Squad and my stoner maniacs. You guys are my online best friends. And I don't ever want to think we won't ever be friends. Welcome back to the Stoner Man is Dope podcast. This is my favorite episode so far. This is the movie podcast. Dude, it's so good to talk to your ears again. I hope and expect everything is going great behind your eyes. Welcome back to Stoner Man is Dope Podcast. All is well in the Stoner Studios. I just wanted to talk to you guys about my favorite form of entertainment today. This podcast is dedicated to the greatest form of art and expression, movies. Some people call movies, cinema, flicks, pics, talkies, features, motion pictures, or picture shows. But the great ones are called films. Why do they call them films? Well... Because they used to shoot on film. That's it. There's there's no other reason. They used to have to shoot on film, which would be in the cameras. The film would be loaded into the cameras, and then they would have to take it. Like, you wouldn't even know what you shot. You would just have to hope on good faith that what you guys shot was able to be pro- or captured on the film. Yes, I have a question. Um, what? Film shoots at 24 frames per second. What does that mean? I don't really know. But how I understand it is it's like this picture, uh, th- this camera takes... 24 pictures a second, right? That's a lot of pictures. And then you take that captured film and you take it to a lab and then the lab would process it in dark rooms and they put in too much uh, vinegar. I don't know however they processed it, but everything had to be perfect. And from what I heard was the reason that the film industry did 24 frames per second instead of 30 frames per second is because it was cheaper. They had the choice of like how many they could do and they they settled on 24. I don't know if that's a, um, it's definitely not an urban myth. That's racist. not really a Hollywood myth. It's a, let's call it a Nick myth. Because that's a a little myth that I heard from my buddy Nick. Nick So it could or could not be true. Dude loves film too. So I'm going to take his word for it. You guys can leave some comments or whatever and tell me the Nick myth has been busted. But I doubt it because Nick's kind of a badass, except Nick does also believe in aliens and Bigfoot. Bigfoot. And I don't believe in either of those. Um, Hold on. I got to make sure somebody's not stealing my car. Things kind of look sketchy outside. Hold on, guys. No, car's fine, dude. It's, it's okay. Everybody was cool. It was, uh, uh, see, you heard that? Nope. This guy was like walking around looking all sketchy, and I heard the beeps, the honk honk. And when I heard the honk honk, I was like, uh oh, somebody's messing with my car because it sounded like my alarm. But uh, no, he was just getting stuff out of his van and he's working on somebody else's uh, house. It's a plumber. He's a plumber. Who cares? You guys do because you guys are my best friends in the whole history of the world online. And that's awesome for me. For a while, I didn't have like a lot of great best friends online. I had some friends online, but not great best friends online. But now we got each other. So we're consider me your best friend online too. Okay. Dudes, you got my email address, P-U-F-F-Y at still man.com puffy at stonerman.com go to stonerman.com if you want the best smoking accessories i'm not gonna do too much singing even though i like to so back to nick so nick uh he's been looking at these uh these little developmental towns that he's seen in um i just forgot the word online uh online it's called conspiracyville usa and it's brought to you by frank franklin realty frank franklin of course is one of our bigger sponsors on the show he sponsors a lot of the content and frank franklin realty has bought and purchased land all over the united states and each state developed conspiracy bills Are you looking to get away from other people's reality? 
Sick of the television telling you things that obviously don't add up? Has your independent internet research uncovered alarming things that your friends and family just don't seem to understand? Fear not, my collective unconscious. You now have a place to live freely. Frank Franklin Realty has developed small conspiracyvilles in all 50 states. What is Conspiracyville? Let's hear from our residents. I moved in here because I was sick of all the media coverage where I used to live. There was crime, violence, crack babies. Ever since I moved in here, all the people in the community think the exact same way I do. Except for the Sprague's down the street. I think they're spies. A like-minded community. Due to the overwhelming information we take from your phone, social media, and emails, our algorithm determines exactly what conspiracyville you're perfect for. Take Scott from Lyle, Illinois. So my third wife and I finally took the plunge and headed west to Conspiracyville, Oregon. If they're looking at a few different Conspiracyvilles, we actually found the place where Elvis and Tupac actually retired to. It's a community that understands aliens actually live underwater because they don't need air to survive, duh, and that Jeffrey Epstein used to write for Punky Brewster. Plus the best frozen yogurt in the country. That's right. Each Conspiracyville has the same but different amenities. Movie theaters, town squares for rantings and ravings, a mall with P-U-K-E frozen yogurt, dry cleaners, Wally Green's Pharmacy, and a pet store. Conspiracyville. We're right around the corner. Brought to you by Frank Franklin Realty. What the Conspiracyvilles do is they are little developed towns. They've got, I believe, anywhere between, depending on the state, 200 to 500 homes and easily accessible except one lane in, one lane out, or, or like uh, not one lane, like two, four lanes, you know, because you, you don't you don't want to have too much traffic. And I think Conspiracyville, if you're kind of tired of living in cities where people have like all these different thoughts than you, find the Conspiracyville closest to you. Go to conspiracyville.net and check it out. Like if you want to go state hunting, Go state hunt and figure out like, yo, I lived in the South my whole life. I want to live in the Pacific Northeast. Boy, I am really selling this bit. Conspiracyville, Idaho. It's amazing. They have like all these great things. And then Idaho, like I think twice a year they go Bigfoot hunting in Washington, which is funny because in Washington, they believe potatoes uh, have been grown by the government to destroy Ireland. So the Conspiracyville, Washington is kind of at war with Conspiracyville, Idaho guys, but uh, they don't care in Idaho. They just want to find Bigfoot. This conspiracy commercial brought to you by Frank Franklin Realty. Now back to Stoner Man babbling about cameras. The camera maker is also one of the things I heard. This could be a Nick Myth. Nick Myth. They only made a limited number of cameras in like the 40s and 50s, so people dumb couldn't really guy understand the technology. Trying to sound so smart. He's a all about dumb guy. This trying to sound smart. And blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I don't understand everything. I'm still absolutely amazed by how aspirin works. Um, so what? how a camera can capture all this stuff, pretty amazing to me. They only hey, dumb guy. Guess what? Aeroflex, and there might you don't sound smart. Please, what I'm begging for from you awesome best friendians, the stoner maniacs, the members of the vice squads, dudes and dudettes, uh, let me know what really it is because I don't feel like Wikipediaing anything today. Did I, I just hit the slow-mo button? So let me know what like the real story is or, or send in a video and I'll totally post it on stonerman.com or stonermania.com. Put you out there, not trying to make you like a superstar celebrity, but like let you know to the THC community, yo, this is how stuff really is. I'm not making sense right now. And it doesn't have to be, again, just centered around the hooch, the grind, the herbs, the peeps, the poops. 
I don't know what I'm saying right now, but uh, send in some videos. Become a become a stoner expert, a stoner spurt. Ew, don't do that, dude. Become a stoner expert. That would be much more preferred. The thing that I had heard was they made a very limited number of the cameras. So, oh my goodness, he's still talking about cameras, technology, and then become a better company. Because of course, that's what happens in America, and that's how it really should be. Is uh, when the competition can figure out how to make something cheaper and better, and they can make more of them, that everybody should be able to do it. So these companies only um, leased out the camera equipment to the studios, which makes no sense. You would think if you were a studio, you would want to buy as many cameras as possible so you could shoot anytime, all the time, anytime, all the time. Anyway, the whole reason I'm bringing all this stuff up, well, we're waiting. There only became a very limited number of people who were able to become experts at this field. And they would teach it in certain universities. And I'm not talking about theory like film theory. Oh, you break this down. I'm talking about like how to use a camera, how lighting works, how costume design works, how makeup works, how- Hey, dumb guy, guess what? You don't sound smart. Entertainment and of art. One of the things I like to do whenever I go to a new city or especially in Europe or, or wherever I am abroad. I'm not abroad, I'm a dude. Uh, whenever I'm in like a different part of the world, I always like to check out their art museums. Art is a really cool way of seeing all the dumb uh, the guy way time has changed trying to sound smart. History, He's a they captured dumb stuff. guy. I love like trying to sound smart. Paintings where Raphael, not so much Michelangelo, but Leonardo da Vinci, dude. If you look at like Leonardo da Vinci's invention book and stuff like that, like this stuff's really, really. First of all, I just named three of the four Ninja Turtles. Second of all, I am babbling like a goof on Goof Day, dude. Third of all, invention book. Not intellectualism, but um, being smartism, I guess is how I want to say it. Ah, man, I just saw some really great stuff in Italy, Spain. Dolly is Salvador basically Dali. my favorite. Basically, what does that even mean? Dolly is Salvador Dali. my favorite artist, period. I don't understand Picasso, even though I kind of do. I'm Picasso! Um, because art was one way, and then Picasso came along and art changed immediately. Um, and forever thereafter. And uh oh, here we go. But, here comes uh, Professor uh, Dumbass for yeah. art history. Just creating, taking the biggest medium in the world, the world that was recognized around the world, and Picasso just did it differently. And nobody had ever seen it, so it blew everybody's mind. And of course, now we look around in retrospect. Oh man, of course, why wouldn't people just do that? Because nobody did. Ever since they invented oil painting, they invented oil and painting and whatever, like when even hieroglyphics, it was all done basically one way. And Picasso did it completely different. And people bought it. I mean, like they could have looked at it and been like, this is the stupidest stuff I've ever seen, but it captured the art world. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible. We are the art world. We say this is the most amazing thing we have ever seen. We look at what Picasso does. He does it maybe so crazy, great, different. He making the nose on one side of the face, two eyes on the other side of the face. We haven't never seen anything like this. Everybody does a portrait, not of this guy. He even put the mouth under the forehead. No, 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 no. Sometimes the foot, they go in the mouth, but it only go in the mouth and not under the face. Come on, this is Picasso. He's a somebody special. Everybody else. <laughs> Back to the podcast. Well, there's still a reason we talk about Picasso. But to me, Dolly, Salvador I just Dali. never seen anything like that. Like that's like your imagination gone wild and being able to articulate and present all this wild, crazy stuff in your mind to people and be able to, to capture 
other people's thoughts and feelings of not necessarily the same thing, but being able to recognize all that insanity in themselves. What am I and talking like, for about? For me, Dolly, because if you, you look at Dolly, Dolly was actually sort of a student of Picasso, and Picasso was a, a prodigy. So Picasso was like basically banging out like portraits by the time he was 11, 12. And the art world was like, yo, this dude is off the chain. Look at this. This kid is doing this stuff. It was like Beethoven doing like symphonies and stuff at five or six. Like, wow. So nobody was seeing what he was able to do. So Picasso was this legend before he was even 20. He was like basically the LeBron James of art. And, um... I just got lost that reference because it really didn't make that much sense. LeBron James was is no Picasso. If anything, LeBron James is more of a uh, a Lichtenstein, who I love. I absolutely love Lichtenstein, but he's not so much Picasso. Okay, that was just the worst reference. That reference was so bad it completely took me off track of what I was talking. Shocker! About. So Dolly is Salvador Dolly. the coolest of the cool because he was also the personality as much as he was the artist. Uh, I, I really appreciate him almost the most in terms of historical, artistic, blah, blah, blah. On a scale of one to nobody cares, I think I know which one this falls under. His paintings are 500 years old, so the paint is held up for 500 years. That's insane. You know, one of the Nick myths Nick is uh, there isn't anything that you can prove past five generations that could all be BS, but I kind of look at it and I'm like, wow, no, like canvas and oil and art are really the only things that last in buildings. But look at how many buildings get torn down. You know, how many pieces of art get ripped up. So, all right, touche, you got me there. If you guys can, do a deep dive into Dolly. Get to know his stuff. Get to know Picasso. Get to know the history of art. That's all like the 20s and 30s, 1920s, 1930s. Probably a little before, probably a little after. But a really explosion of creativity. It's like the the, the crossroads or or the, the intersection of skill and ambition and intelligence and community. That was the art artistic community in the 20s and 30s. And I feel it's very similar to filmmaking in the 70s, um, 60s and 70s, and, and even to the 80s, that film became as epic and as legendary as art. And that was the way people really used to be able to communicate stuff and tell stories was all through art. And then have the explanations passed on from person to person to be able to explain the artwork to future generations. Don't forget also, there was maybe 3% of the same amount of people on earth back then, you know? And word had to travel in a certain amount of time. It wasn't very easy to get information. Art was the most important thing because it could be mass produced, not, not so much mass produced, but it could be printed and then reshown, like in newspapers and uh, certain catalogs and stuff like that, that there was a way to reproduce work. But film is everything to me. Used to be. Let me rephrase that. Film used to be. The internet kind of to me is now what film used to be to me. Caution. Uh, the next few minutes the make no what sense. Computers have been able to do uh, what people are able to do on them, and it's it's like you know that classic thing too of like how many hackers and people are out there just doing bad stuff because they can, Eight. and how many people are just sort of getting lost on it when there really is a wonderful way that the internet can be utilized for everybody to be able to do good stuff as well. But I don't know if that was a question, a statement, or what. Stuff. I had a oh, a really good friend of mine. She's still a good friend of mine. I didn't have her. Easy, Romeo. Let me rephrase that. That whole phrasing. So, 
My friend used to babysit, and she used to babysit these two kids, and they had a, a very tough childhood. Mom uh, was an exotic dancer, and uh, used exotic very loosely because I don't know what country they dance like that in, but I'd like to move there. So she was also kind of, she had messed up problems, but she paid my friend really well in cash, so everything was great. And the kids were really sweet, lovable kids, but the older one, they were pretty close in age, they were like six and four. The older one just kept getting into trouble. Everything he did just was like a left-hand turn to right-hand lane. One day he got into trouble for the umpteenth time and he looked up at my friend and she was like, why, why? And she was so exasperated because it was really big mess up, really screwed up his brother's ear. And uh, he's fine now, I think, I don't know, who knows what happened to them. Uh, but I, I'm hoping for the best. So she just looked at him and she was like, why do you do this? And he looked up at her and he said, I wanna be good, I swear. That kid in six words summed up my entire life. Wanting to be and do good things and wanting to be a good person, but the, the struggle to not be is so much less of a fight that it's so much easier to put up with. Like, okay, I'll just do this dumb stuff even though I know it's wrong. And uh, that little kid, bless his heart, hope he's not in jail, but chances are. Anyway, I'm just so excited to be back behind the microphone and talking to you guys. I hope all is good. So this podcast is very meaningful to me because, again, I'm sharing with you now my list, my favorite. I have a list of 10. Stoner Man's top 10. Stoner Man's top 10. It's not my top 10 movies, but it's my top 10 discussions about movies. What? And I, I just want you guys to... Um, just kind of got lost for words. Yeah, What's important did. to me about this podcast is that you guys have now a full list of movies and films and picture shows to go through and absorb and understand and experience. And it's it really does suck that the theater experience is gone because it feels like it feels like you know we're at the precipice of of the complete future generation, but there is still this entire you know four generations that are still not operating yet in future in the future they're still very much tied to the traditions of the old school um, and traditions what? to the way they grew up and their parents grew up and their grandparents grew up so you got four or five generations that are still very tied to wanting to be a part of what they know what do they know I don't know all the things that basically are now antiquated and nostalgic what are those and unfortunately now film is because they figured out how to make cameras that was the whole deal and that's what these camera people knew back to the cameras with this guy was once other people figure out how to make cameras we're not going to be in business like we were that's just a garbage way to do business but who am i i'm not anybody with my stupid ideas and thoughts but the more people understood how to use it the more they were able to perfect it by the time the 60s 70s and 80s came around storytelling filmmaking had become perfected and it became less of a cultural popular culture thing caution bad analogy ahead look at the movie stars why that's jane mansfield jane mansfield and her belong sink shit blah 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 you know it was i got nothing jeez louise the brain went friggin south on that one dudes apologized i mean i apologized i hope you accept it but even if you didn't i'm still gonna go on so it was about glamour and making, you know, just kind of like what it's become now or what it's evolved, devolved into is just taking your money. Now they don't even care. It's just about $20 tickets, $8 popcorn, $6 drinks. Like that, that's the disgusting part is they're not there to help you. They're there to hurt you. And when you're going to see a movie, 
Dang, how how great would it be to just plunk eight bucks down and get popcorn, drinks, go. and candy? Thanks. Like it's fifty bucks. Fifty bucks to go see these movies in the last ten years that they've been putting out, even essentially from Marvel. And don't don't get me started on Marvel. Nick myths. Nick let me tell myths. you about. <laughs> let me tell you a little bit about. Conspiracyville, Kansas. They have a whole thing that Marvel is actually a communist plot by Disney to affect storytelling. And if you look at a lot of their pictures, a lot of their movies, pictures, what am I from, 1943? If you look at a lot of their movies, I can I can see what they're saying there in Conspiracyville, uh, Kansas. I think I said Kansas, right? And they're really hardcore anti-Marvel, anti-DC. They're um, Little Lulu. They're, they're a big little Lulu community and Casper the Friendly Ghost. I forgot the name of those comics. But uh, they're, they're very much into those being the most popular form of uh, comic book entertainment. Because there are no movies, they're also trying to acquire the rights to... Uh, not Casper, because Casper's obviously... They, they keep making all these terrible movies about him. I'm just rolling one for us. Yeah, they really believe that Marvel, uh, not only, like Martin Scorsese said, destroyed filmmaking. It's not so much that they destroyed filmmaking. They just changed commerce. They changed the way business is done. So like every once in a while, somebody would break out. Like uh, Gone with the Wind was like the biggest movie in the the biggest movie in the country for years and years and years. And then like all the ones that were on TV that we thought were big budget movies, like uh, or big time box office successes weren't. And thankfully for television, television is what saved film. Otherwise, they would have to be, they used to call them revival houses, where people would have to go to theaters to watch them, you know, like first print, blah, blah, blah. But also, a really cool way to see a movie. Go see a movie in the theater whenever you can. See a movie in the theater when this truly disturbing uh, left-hand turn in the right-hand lane of life with the coronavirus and all this stuff came about. When we're able to collectively be a part of enjoying things together, concerts, all that go see old movies if we're gonna try to do together as with our THC community let's start to just put our money together and buy old um, old movie theaters and just run great movies put our money together on what dummy a go-go Tarantino is doing it at the old Beverly in the or I don't know where it is in LA I haven't seen it uh, I haven't seen a movie there um, and I love Tarantino he's like one of my favorites oh my goodness he's the last Quentin Tarantino is he's the last great independent American filmmaker. Before that, you had guys like Scorsese and Woody Allen. I don't care what anybody says about Woody Allen. Uh, what a great filmmaker. Again, not saying what a great person. Those are two different things and nobody ever won an Oscar for best person. So great independent filmmaker, Tarantino, the last of the great independent filmmakers. The, uh, man, George Lucas, uh, Spielberg isn't an independent filmmaker. I think Ron Howard is a studio independent filmmaker. Um, okay. Uh, like Roger Corman, if you guys can do some research, do some research on Roger Corman. That dude is responsible for the best movies in the world and he didn't produce any of them. He just produced the talent and taught the talent how to make movies, how to make movies for commerce. And his thing was never making great art. His thing was making good bucks. Uh, not just Roger Corman, uh, the other guy too. Oh my gosh, I feel so bad. I was thinking I of Roger Corman. Name. I'm gonna get it, I'm gonna get it. He talked like this. He was a very interesting guy. Roger man. Corman. I think it, was it Corman? Who's the other guy? Oh man, that is just embarrassing. I'll do better research, I guess, next time. I was thinking of Roger Corman, Corman the whole time. Um, I'm, am I thinking of, Ro I might be thinking of Russ Myers. He just made booby movies. Booby movies. And I, see, I grew up in the 70s and 80s where booby movies and like, booby movies. Immature storytelling and I, I think like, if you 
want a reason why Generation X is so immature is look at what we had to emulate. It was confirmed. Terrible. Where I was growing up, every movie was about a dude trying to lose his virginity, trying to trick girls into it, fake boobies, dumb blondes. Like I, I don't feel like I'm complaining. Maybe I am, but a really horrible representation of what life is about and a really unrealistic foray into presenting young kids with this is what life should be about and it was always about girls and trying to get laid guess what i've been trying to do for the last 30 years it sucks um you have all the opportunity in the world with these podcasts you know that's easy for me to say as stoner stoner hybrid Again and always, I don't want anybody smoking if you're under 18. I don't want you puffing weed or ingesting edibles or doing dabs. Warning, this lecture is about to go on and on, but it is meant in the best intentions. If you're under 18, don't mess around until you are 18. Then do whatever you want. If you're under 18, and I don't care how lame you think I am for it, I'm trying to do it because I think it's best for you. But what I think you should do if you are underage is get educated. You grow up, every commercial is a beer commercial if you watch sports. And I brain totally heart. forgot what I was talking about, which is totally cool. But it all comes back down to you have the opportunity to do good, and we don't. This is sort of, I guess, the overarching theme of the podcast right now that I'm sort of getting. We're here for a, a limited limited number of years. We don't know how many. What do you do with that time? It's easier, again, to fall into bad traps. It's easier to do dumb stuff than it is not to. And life really comes down to seconds, if you think about it. It's, it's the second to make the right decision. And you put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do the right thing. And we put too much pressure and emphasis on ourselves when we make mistakes. And I know this sounds stupid on a movie podcast Kinda. to be spouting out like this, but if you do screw up, good, it's a lesson. If you lost money on something, good, we call that the stupid tax. You just paid money to learn that lesson. So learn that lesson and use that money for that so it's not a total waste. With movies and with literature, there's two forms. One is meaningful and one is entertainment. One is to pass time and one is to impart deep meaning. The problem is they're both in the form of commerce. So if you're making a movie, or you're making a book, or you're making literature, whatever the case may be, if you're doing something and you want to have a good living, depending on how rich the person wants to be, it seems to me the richest people are the ones who hit the broadest audience. So if you're hitting a broad audience, it means you're just tackling a few things that mean a little bit to a lot of people. And when you really do deep, meaningful things, make especially films, it means you probably really significantly hit on something that collectively we're all thinking about. Because going to the movie theater is a collective experience. It's really the only collective experience where you don't really know what you're going to experience. What? So if you go to a comedy, you know, you know you're going to go see a comedy, but you didn't realize you were going to laugh so hard with these people. You go to see a drama, you didn't realize you were going to be sobbing with this old woman next to you and then this young kid behind you. Like, it's amazing to have that. We all are experiencing the same thing, but different at the same time. Oh, okay. And you do it in an hour and a half, two hours. To be able to encapsulate that or to be able to get people to walk out of the theater the way everybody walked out of the theater after Forrest Gump. Life is like a box of chocolates. Oh. Good Lord, man. That is a that is a blessing, and that is what everybody should aim to. Almost every filmmaker, almost every actor especially, 
is always afraid that somebody's going to pull the curtain. We're going to realize how bad this person stinks. And this, I think, goes back to one of the other things I said on my other podcast about, like, if you're going to be your biggest critic, you have to be your biggest fan. That is a good point, uh, dude. thing I was just thinking about how much... Uh, I was actually just thinking about The Wizard of Oz. I love that movie. Dorothy. This is uh, Stoner Man Preaching. I will get off my soapbox right after this. Finally. If you can, and you can, do good. That's it. You won't always, but more than not, and if you screw up, make amends and do better. We all want to, and it's really hard if you don't have a large support group to remind you how awesome you are and that you can make the right things because there is no reward for doing the right things. It sucks. I used to always be like, ah, you know, even just a little award. Like a little thing, so you can put it on your mantle, like, oh, help the lady get something off the top shelf at the grocery store today. You know, like somebody's gonna run out like, Thank you so much, you were the nicest guy in the store today. A lot of people just walked by and saw this sweet old lady struggling mightily to get these pretzels. Bag of Doritos on us. This brought to you by the people who think people who do good are good. So that would be awesome, but that does not exist in this world. Unless, you know, like it gets on the news because they had to put something nice in in a 30-minute telecast. Here comes Mr. Sanic. For the most part, we don't get credit for our good and we don't give ourselves credit for good. We think of the one dumb thing we did in eight years. Why'd I do that? But we don't think of the 5,000 great things we did in those years. Wow, I did that! That's why movies are awesome. What? Film has become like broadcast television, books, newspapers, AM and FM radios, and I, I guess essentially kindness. Society doesn't really have a need for them anymore, but they can still use it. They just don't need it. And the only thing parents really need nowadays is an $800 iPad because YouTube is the best babysitter on earth. Preach. When I was a kid, great cartoon movies came out maybe every six years. Now, five-year-olds are watching videos of eight-year-old millionaires talking about Fortnite. That's my buddy Wally. My, uh, my other buddy, uh, Big Nick, is uh, out of town. I'm not going to tell you where he is because I'm not allowed to legally. He had me sign a contract. But we're taking care of the big guy. Hey, don't worry. Wally, I love you. Wally, I love you. Wally, I love you. Wally, Wally, I love you. I love Wally. But what you But Wally, what do you think about what I was saying about the movies? He didn't like it too much. You liked what I was saying about the movies. I know you. Wally? Did, Wally? Did you like The Matrix? No? Oh, did you like The Matrix 2? No? What about Revolutions? Oh my goodness, he just showed his butt to me. Was your favorite? Oh, I know what your favorite movie is. It's a Woody Allen movie. It's Everyone Says I Love You. I love you. I love you. Wally. Wally. I love you. I love you. Oh, he's a good one. Oh. Wally. Oh, he's so good. Come here. Oh, now I feel bad. He's so good. I love you. I love you. I love you. Wally. I love you. 
<laughs> Man, so he's a good boy. That's just Wally. He's a good boy. Basically, all I'm saying is, and what we've learned is, people just like things that pass the time. You don't check in. You don't do too much thinking. Entertainment has truly devolved from being meaningful to being disposable. And I don't blame it. People used to think when they would sit outside, they would either listen to music or think. Now you got people listening to podcasts, radio stations, movies, TV shows. They're reading stuff. There's so much stuff you can do now that you just couldn't do before. So doobie. Because we spend so much hours of our life waiting and doing stuff and needing to pass the time, we need so much more stuff. And so the less stuff we have to think about, the better off we are. Because you don't need a whole bunch of, wow, meaningful things and still have to walk around your life. It's just not feasible because we evolve and we change over time, not rapidly. So we need those spaces in between so you got your good cruddy music and then you go home and when you're crying or whatever, you listen to music that really makes you feel good. Stoner Man Translation. Everything was better when I was a kid. Get off my lawn. The problem is, like, I don't mind that all the other trash, like TV and radio, like, I, I had to say the three biggest forms of collective destruction of American society, particularly after World War II, comes from three different places. Network television, specifically television news, radio, and social media. I know you think it's Stoner Man. <laughs> You're headed right to Conspiracyville, Arkansas with this one. You know what? Good. We got openings. What I think the biggest problem with especially those horrible forms of American quote-unquote entertainment, is that you have dorks controlling what you watch. You have jerks picking your programming for you. Now, you decide what you want to watch. You decide what you want to listen to. And not have to be victimized by their algorithms, but you're the algorithm. That, that, that'll be your name. Algorithm. That should, that's what he should name his site. Algorithm. But you're the algorithm of this is what gets seen, not being victimized by, oh, I can't say my, I, the kid turned on the channel and saw this. Yeah, of course. There's 86,000 things on Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, HBO Max, uh, all that stuff. Like, there's millions and hundreds of thousands of movies and TV shows and that just is not right for your kid but what do you care right you don't why i don't know you're just lazy parents that's easy for me to judge dude guilty <laughs> sorry uh I, I take all that back i was uncalled for i just felt like being mean that's part of myself that i'm trying to get rid of and uh with your guys's help and your ability to let me apologize and accept my apology and we'll move on but uh, i won't try to be as, as judgmental and mean might be the strand that i'm smoking today we are currently smoking blueberry lemonade from uh Shoot, awake, awake. Is it awake? No, awake is like the form, like when it's a sativa. So, sativa, to hold on, get the name. Here, oh, this could be Sunday Driver. Uh, nope, Blueberry Lemonade by... Uh, man, I can't read as well as I used to. I don't have my glasses by me, but it's some awake, uh, and it's Blueberry Lemonade. It's absolutely terrific. And now for something completely different. Okay, guys, I know I'm like totally on a podcast. <laughs> you guys, I know I'm totally on my soapbox this podcast, but the last thing, and it's it's really inspired by one of my top three or four favorite movies in the history of the world. It's called Network. 
And if you've never seen Network, watch Network. That should be number one. Not going to get into it too much, but it, it in 1970, early 70s or whatever. 1976. Don't know the exact date. Sorry, guys. I'm not. Uh, I used to be, like, especially with sports, I'm really good with years and stuff. But uh, and movies I'm pretty good with too. But Network, I, I think it's 74, 76. 1976. Um, but Network is, talks about, talks about all these big companies are buying out television stations and making the news, which used to be the most important part of an American's life, into a sideshow and basically no different than what's on network television during primetime television. Network television hours or whatever that's whatever that's called. Primetime television, dude. Primetime. There's there's no difference now between the news and primetime television. I did it. It's all just basically to keep your interest. It's never to inform or educate. Network is the most amazing interpretation of what was going to happen over the next several years. I forgot the word for future. Next to idiocracy. Idiocracy. See idiocracy right after network because idiocracy is the comedy network. Stonerman translation. I mean the network version of comedy, not an actual comedy network. There are none. It's just the best, like those two movies best encapsulate what happened to American society in the last 40, 50 years is we've devolved as a society into a less thinking society and a more reactive society. Wow, good point, dude. And we're not looking out as much for each other as much as looking out for ourselves. And I think there should be a fair balance of being able to be community organized, (laughs) if you can say that, and and also being self-prepared and self-reliant. In my secret identity, I worked as a television editor for Fox News in the sports department. They just want to control your thoughts from the house to the car and all through your day. This is it. This is the worst part. Now remember, this is a big part of the literature at the Conspiracyville, Montana development. They want to control your thoughts for the simple reason that they want to sell you piles and piles of garbage. It's true. Alcohol, prescription drugs, fast food, awful movies, horrible TV shows, poisonous soda, hideous clothes and shoes, insurance agencies, the worst political candidates in the world, terrible bank loan offers, bad cars, and all of it is recapped with terrible stereotyping. So for years, all the advertisements It's not even so much the entertainment as much as the advertisements showed you what a couple is. And it's these advertising companies that try to control American thought. And then the networks would do it with whatever the owner of the network wanted to be the narrative. So only non... What's the best way to put it? Because I feel like I'm rambling and I'm still on my soapbox and I apologize. Because this is a movie show. You don't have to advertise good stuff. That's the whole point. This podcast is taking a left-hand turn into Stupidville, you guys. I'm sorry. You can keep paying attention. All I'm trying to say is, like, stay away from advertising. Don't believe all that stuff. There's so much stuff they throw at you that you don't have to buy. And I want you to use your money for the stuff that you like and enjoy. Basically, travel, read, Enjoy and save. Get yourself some property. Start building stuff on it. Start building your savings account. Go have fun with your money, but don't give it away to products. Give it away to experience. I wish I could have said that in those sentences for the last half hour. So I don't know how long I'm going to keep babbling on, but I'm going to try to cut it off. I'm sorry it's so conspiracy build out today. I just filled out the forms to all the stuff to have them be the main sponsor and... I felt more of a responsibility to talk about it 
and I'll try to stay away in future make over podcasts from over crazy conspiracyville look, literature. But you know, look, dudes, they do make some good points. There's over two million podcasts. They make over two thousand movies a year, over five hundred TV shows a year. So for things to be meaningful and impactful on the people, it's few and far between. It just doesn't happen like it used to. It's just there's so many things to fill your attention span. And honestly, before the year 2000, it was actually really hard to find entertainment. And the majority of the people who made those entertainments were probably the worst people in the history of the world. So it's really hard to bridge that gap between great artists and the worst people on the history of the world because as bad as Harvey Weinstein was as a person, that dude was great for movies. Like he made great movies and, and allowed filmmakers to be great filmmakers, all under the auspices of being the worst person on earth. I guess that's the trade-off? I mean, obviously not, but ugh. And to me, film has been the most meaningful form of artistic expression. People derive life lessons and emotional catharsis over the years from art, music, books, plays, video games. Aside from stand-up comedy, for me, films have positively opened up my worldview, given me way different perspectives and opportunities, and are the absolute best way to spend about two hours. They used to be special, crafted, artisan. From the 1960s on, film directors were the movie stars. Why? Because it was insanely expensive and difficult to shoot and develop film. So a limited number of films were made every year. And nine times out of 10, they were terrible. So when they were great, they touched your heart. They moved your soul and they helped your mind. And you experienced it with several hundred other people. I mean, come on, you've cried, laughed, and gasped with strangers over the entire course of your life. And all of you have walked out a better person because of it. So for me, here's my list of 10. Stonerman's top 10 list for stuff you should know about movies. Numero 10. Number 10, dudes. Marvel. So, Marvel changed the entire game. And they took properties people had loved for 60, 70 years. Characters that meant different things to different generations of people, but the same thing to all of them. Making no sense. Marvel went from making the best comic books in the world to making the best movies. I loved comic books growing up. Absolutely loved them. Uh, I don't know if I told you guys this, but I used to break into my neighbor's house when they weren't home and go read all their comic books because they had a basement filled with them. And I loved it. And I didn't steal any. And I would just go in there and read them. And then, thankfully, they never caught me. And it was all of them. It was like Archie and Little Lulu and Casper, but they were so many Marvels. And then I would buy all the Marvel comic books and stuff. And love the X-Men, X-Men were my favorite. Love the Fantastic Four, love Captain America. Love Daredevil, because my dad was an attorney and Daredevil was an attorney, except he was blind, my dad could see. From when I was a little kid to Marvel finally being able to make movies that look like movies and their comic books. I was like in my, my 20s, and I'm not gonna lie, and I'm, I'm a little bit of a crier. When uh, Wolverine was fighting Sabretooth in X-Men 1, I sort of cried a little bit. Kind of got all teary-eyed because I was so happy to finally see Wolverine on the big screen and fighting Sabretooth, and it looked like a good fight. And Rogue was there, and Magneto was there. I mean, it was awesome. To finally see your favorite comic books on the big screen because like I had seen all the the DC ones and that Superman I mean like Superman easily was 
my favorite superhero growing up. I, I love Captain America too for the same reasons. I'm sort of one of the nerds who, who likes the do-gooders. I like the guys who do things for the purpose of doing good things. And Christopher Reeve as Superman is easily the greatest, the greatest comic book film superhero of all time. Like I, I love uh, Bale's Batman, but really it just comes down to a lot of him being screaming weird. And just like with that sort of super crazy voice, where just, I don't know, Christopher Reed and Superman, just good lord. That is that is as good a character and an actor being part of that character and all that. that And those movies are so good. You know, like everybody does the whole thing about reversing the plane of the earth. But when I was a kid, that made perfect sense to me. You know, then there's like the, the obvious adult thoughts afterwards that he only did it to save her. Like, that's eh, kind of jacked up. But yo, that's, that's love. You know, that's that 70s love, guys. But Marvel has been able to capture all that childhood love for comic books and cartoons and seeing them actually played by actors and played well by actors is unbelievable. And that's why like, I think Avengers, for me, it's one, three, four, two. So I loved Avengers one, loved it. Like to me, the biggest thing and the most important thing was the Avengers got right was the Hulk. And that was what they had gotten wrong in the, the two movies. Beauty God. Was, um, those were just two bad movies. They were crappy movies and you couldn't really get into either of them. And neither one of them ended up in the Avengers and Ruffalo came in and like a pinch hitter became a mainstay. He went from, from Edward Norton's Wally Pip to Mark Ruffalo's Lou Gehrig, dude. He's a great Hulk and they got the character right and they got the use of all of it right. Plus, I believe Captain America and Thor had already been out at that time. Yep. And obviously the, the first two Hulks, which were horrible, both of them. But one, three, four, two. Three, Infinity War is just, uh, I think, the best movie Marvel made. It's an incredible movie. It's an encapsulation of uh, the entire series of the 1920 films, like what it all leads to. Because um, number four, Avengers 4, I watched it like once. I, I could care less if I ever see that movie again. Um, and two is just okay, Ultron. You know, just sort of like the delineation character of, of uh, Iron Man and eh, just like whatever, Ultron. Lame. That was just kind of lame. Some lame jokes. A little too cutesy. Uh, did love uh, Cap moving Thor's hammer. Um, but like to get back to Endgame, to get back to four, like at the end of three, three is the end of phase four. Like Thanos won, no matter what, period. Thanos won. <laughs> like once he got to the snap, that was it. Like we were the dummies who made uh, Endgame a billion dollar movie and it's it's bad. It's lame, it's boring, it's like, we all saw it because we had to see it, not because we wanted to. It's why it made so much money is we had already invested all that time and that's why Marvel really changed the game. Captain America. Big cat fan. Evans absolutely destroys it with that character. Like, it's how to be a nerd without being a nerd, how to be a nerd without being a jerk, how to be a know-it-all, how to be a do-gooder, and be sincere, but also understand your own fallibilities. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I also have to say within that, so I loved Captain America 2. I love Captain America 1. 1 and 2, you can't go wrong. Well, 1 and 2, you can't go wrong. What did I eat, tar? I love 1 and 2. They are equal as enjoyable i will say the red skull best villain in all the marvel it sounds like i'm just picking words from the sky uh, universe easily and gone for one film absolute tragedy that dude should have showed up in like every single movie hugo weaving that is the best villain in the history of marvel films that being said the worst villain in all of them is friggin bucky 
and Bucky and Cap's relationship is weird. The whole thing is just weird. Bucky and Cap are in a relationship. They're in an 80-year relationship. And Bucky's a bad boy. Cap can't understand that Bucky is a criminal. He's a murder. He's a serial killer, right? Matches all the criteria to me. I guess so is Cap. True. This is what cracked me up. He murdered Iron Man's dad and mom. They, they, it's just this weird relationship. I don't get it. Just admit that they were a couple and that Cap was in love with them. Like that whole uh, Peggy Noonan or Norton or whatever her name is, the whole Peggy thing, Peggy Carter, like bogus. He was in love with Bucky. Bucky, uh, you know, was dangerous. He was like the taller, bigger dude. Like remember in the first movie, Bucky lets him get his ass kicked before he helps him. Like that's your best friend, dude? Like dude's just beating him up and Cap's like, I could do this all day. And then like Bucky lets the guy beat him up some more and then Bucky's like, pick on someone your own size. What? And then Bucky's like, geez, Steve, I think you like getting punched. I'm like, this don't sound like no superhero movie. That's the guy you're gonna commit treason for and go to jail for? The guy who let you get your ass kicked until you grabbed the lid of a, a garbage can as a shield to protect yourself? That's your best friend, bro? No, bro. That's love. Like, just say, you, just say you're getting in love with him, dude. I'm fine with it. It's no big deal. Hey, Mr. Liberated. I mean, think about it. He lets him get beat up. He has a three-way with Cab's date in 41 when he's laughing at his buddy because he can't get into the army. He gets his platoon kidnapped. He falls off a train, he becomes a brainwashed spy, kills Iron Man's parents, and hundreds of thousands of other people, destroys towns and villages, and every time Cap sees him, he's like, it, like they're both in the notebook. I keep waiting for him to lift him up in the rain. It drives me totally insane. So that's my biggest beef with that. There's the beef. Then I think you gotta go Iron Man. One, three, two. Three and two, you don't need to see him. Iron Man one, kicked off the whole thing. Nothing better, dude, you know, in the whole world than hiring Robert Downey Jr., you know, to be Tony Stark. Again, it's not so much Iron Man. Like, once you've got the technology of the movie going down, dude, you don't need to do anything. It's like, really, that's not the part. The part is not being Iron Man. The part is being Tony Stark. And that is what they did right. They did the great casting in getting an improviser and a, a brilliant guy who had his problems at the time. Yeah, no big deal. Whatever. And uh, so just uh, the total right hire. Iron Man 1, totally worth it. Iron Man 3, meh. Iron Man 2, meh. Uh, except you do get Natasha in there. And I don't mean like a hubba hubba thing. Like, she's a badass character. I haven't seen Black Widow because of just no interest. But she's she's a great character. She's been the, probably the most important character throughout the whole series. Like, to me, I'm, I'm a huge... Uh, Romanoff fan except obviously like to see her own movie like no interest but she was the perfect actress and the perfect character that was able to to go within it aside from them doing like the weird sub stories with her and Banner was like okay whatever like I guess somebody had to like classic Hollywood thinking somebody has to bang this hot chick uh, might as well be the weirdo and neither one of them can have kids or whatever and they both think they're monsters for it oh okay whatever but that's an Avengers 2 thing Iron Man 1 Three, two, uh, best way to see it. Guardians one, oh my gosh, Guardians of the Galaxy, almost up there with Iron Man in terms of changing the game, and almost up there with Matrix. Like they took a a very low. Not that I'm anybody, but I had no idea who the Guardians of the Galaxy were. You're somebody, were. bro. And I, I couldn't have eaten up that movie any more than I did. Pratt was off the charts movie star, off the charts. I mean, like classic. Might be one of the last movie stars we have. As, as like all the other guys also fade away. But uh, Pratt destroys it. Zoe Saldana is so far beyond 
like I guess you know like Avatar and her career of, of understanding how to act with all that garbage on her face because she gives such an amazing performance again she's another one who carry, literally to the end of the phase four or whatever really carries the story through and is such an important part acting wise uh, Guardians 2 don't bother Thor 312 Ragnarok is just one of the funniest best movies ever of being able to perfectly put um action and comedy together and uh, totally change the course of the franchise without any problem. Ragnarok is great. Thor 1 is great. Thor 2, eh, not great, but not, not as bad to me as everybody thinks. Uh, Ant-Man 1 and 2 or Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, really enjoyable. Paul Rudd's always fun, always funny. Terrible villains. They're really good two-thirds of the way through both movies. You can't go wrong watching Ant-Man. Like, when I'm doing stuff around the house, too, like, I'll put the movie on with the commentary. A lot of these have commentaries on uh, iTunes, which is where I watch them. Unsponsored advertising, because the product's great. Ant-Man 1 and 2 are really fun. Uh, great commentaries as well. Black Panther uh, fell asleep in the theater. Not going to lie. Probably going to call me racist for it. That's racist. Whatever. Don't feel like I was racist, but I was pretty bored with that movie. That's racist. I thought there was some really cool stuff. but uh, And what's his name? Michael B. Jordan is absolutely p as good as it gets. That was close to being racist. Like he's, he's right up there with like, you put him and the Red Skull in the same movie. Like I can't wait to see like Secret Wars. Oh my gosh. If you can put uh, Killmonger with... Uh, with Red Skull, those dudes would be the most badass team of all time. Uh, Black Panther was cool, I have it, I watch it a bunch, but um, not a lot of stuff I really take from it or remember. Sorry, probably makes me racist. Yeah, I know it's racist. I took a class once on YouTube. That was the only time in the movie theater I've ever been where uh, the guy next to me nudged me and he's like, Hey bro, you're And then I felt really bad. Yeah, I just didn't click with it. Racist! Um, Hulk 1 and 2, no need. Those are just brutally bad movies. If you're curious, they'll be very they'll, they'll be good to watch. They really will if you're curious. But you won't gain anything from watching them, and they're not really part of the MCU. Captain Marvel, uh, yeah, uh, um, that's really it for Marvel for me. I haven't seen uh, Black Widow. Racist. Oh wait, sexist. Oh wait. And uh, my apologies to Scarlett Joe. Uh, if I ever see her, I'll just give her 20 bucks because Disney screwed her out of that money. She deserves an extra 20 at least from me because loved her work. And I think Marvel owes her a, a much bigger debt than they paid her. Tell you that much. Sort of feel the same with uh, James Gunn. Guardians, absolutely amazing. I think they, they well compensated Iron Man. Um, and then obviously like the, the Spider-Mans. Uh, I think you go original trilogy, one, two, three, and then one is okay. Homecoming's pretty good. Uh, that second one, Far From Home, one of the worst contrived... Uh, I'll do an entire podcast about how uh, Far From Home is probably one of the worst uh, comic book movies of all time. And then uh, uh, Shang-Chi uh, and the other one, uh, the new Star uh, the new Star Wars, the new Spider-Man, I don't really care that much about. I guess I'm too old now, which is cool. So you can also take that into account. I'm, I'm a much older man. Um, I think Tom Holland's great, but those movies are horrible. Again, nonsense, terrible terrible nonsensical uh, villains with terrible nonsensical uh, villain equipment. Like, whatever, dude. Those movies stink. And Venom was brutally mediocre. Although Tom, you know, high-pitched Tom Hardy's good, but oh my goodness, those movies, that movie was whatever, dude. Whoa, moving on, dude. We're gonna move on now. That was number 10, Marvel. Number nine is my personal favorite. The guy who's got the most special 
part of my heart in terms of my filmmaker love heart is Quentin Tarantino. He might be the weirdest person ever, but um, he's Dolly. He's the, the Salvador Dolly of filmmaking to me. Full circle, dude. I can rewatch his stuff and learn new stuff from it all the time. I absolutely love it. I think Wally's about to start barking in, in truth. Yeah, see, see, Wally knows. But I will start with the best Tarantino movie for me that he directed is Jackie Brown and that he wrote is True Romance. I can watch those movies all the time. And then here's my little buddy. Oh, he's a cute buddy. But oh my goodness, Jackie Brown and True Romance. Unlikely heroes, great love stories. Both of them, great love stories. I guess like too, like when I always look back at movies, the ones that I love the most are love stories. Traditional or non-traditional, but I, I really love love stories. And Jackie Brown and True Romance, and Jackie Brown and True Romance are really two incredible movies. Just the dialogue, the action, the pace, and all of it. I can't talk enough about those movies. I won't go into the specifics about it, but dude, you got Chris Tucker doing the smallest role, and he's incredible in it. Sam Jackson, Robert De Niro playing Sam Jackson's bitch, Bridget Fonda in the most adorably awesome role of all time. She's so incredible in that part. And then Pam Greer, dude. Dude, this is the worst part about being stoner man, dude, is sometimes your stoner memory stony fails you I'm dudes. thinking of Pam Greer. Um, I am so sorry to uh, Pam Greer. Not Pam Greer. Yeah, Pam, Pam. Greer. You love oh this movie, goodness, dude. Oh my goodness, dude. I, I might have to look this up. Is it Pam Greer? Yes! Yeah, I'm literally checking this out. I was right. Pam Greer. Good lord. I almost said Rosie. Rosie Greer? So I kept wanting to say Rosie Greer. And Rosie Greer was the guy who tackled Sirhan Sirhan to the ground. He just got pardoned. Whatever. Yeah, since there are no more Kennedys in office, I guess everybody's safe. Pam Greer gives, uh, I think, like the best performance, uh, the most underrated performance maybe in the history of movies is Pam Greer's Jackie Brown. And the situation that Tarantino puts her in repeatedly to continue to show her character and her fiber. I'm a terrible movie explainer. I can't get enough. Oh yeah, Michael Keaton's in it, dudes. Uh, just that movie, there is no better movie that you can spend two hours watching than Jackie Brown. None. Now, if you need a little adrenaline rush, the only thing you're gonna get better than Jackie Brown is true romance. Oh. My. God. You know, as a young writer, Tarantino disavowed himself from it because uh, there were changes to the, the script of the movie that he was very unhappy with, but I, I think he's really sort of flipped on how he feels about True Romance, the best friggin' movie ever made, dudes. Yeah, like, Jackie Brown is my favorite, but True Romance is the best characters, the best actors, the best acting, the best writing, best directing. the scene between Christopher Walken and uh, Dennis Hopper, easily the best scene in the history of movies. Best written, best directed, best acted. Y you just don't get better. I, I cannot tell you to watch True Romance enough and watch it five times. You'll catch something better and better every time. Uh, Gary Oldman, holy mackerel. Oh yeah, quick Sam Jackson scene, dude. Dudes, True Romance it up, y'all. True Romance it up. It is incredible. Michael Rappaport is so good. Brad Pitt in the role of his career. James Gandolfini. Sit down and watch it. And then go Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction is, Pulp Fiction's a game changer. That's why, you know, I guess Tarantino could almost be more Picasso than, uh, um, he's more Picasso Dolly. <clears throat> yes, everybody. Professor Dork is giving lessons. Because Dolly studied under Picasso. Picasso, like I always say, like, Picasso didn't need Dolly. Dolly needed Picasso. 
and Dolly's my favorite, but he needed somebody to show him that your mind, you can let loose your mind. And Tarantino just took all of modern filmmaking to that time and turned it on its head with storytelling. And it's kind of like Rashomon uh, is an incredible movie by Kurosawa in the 50s. And Rashomon is an incredible story about three sides. Three sides of what, dude? One side, another side, and then the truth. He's the worst at explaining movies. He's the worst at explaining movies. Because he don't know how to explain it. Telling the story in different fragments. And Pulp Fiction masterfully changed the games in being able to tell a story non-linearly. And what that means is not in a straight line. Like everything happened like this. It's like this day happened, and then this day happened, then this moment. So he just changed the game. Plus, nobody steals better... Um, scenes in Tarantino. Uh, his best scenes are stuff that come from other movies. Uh, his dialogue is wholly original. His direction, his look is wholly original. But uh, dude is a great thief. I, I take no pleasure in saying that. But uh, he's stolen some... I'll get off the subject, but uh, some of his best ideas are other people's. And he's just great at retelling them. What he did in Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained he empowered Jews and he empowered careful African Americans or black people better than anybody ever has. He gave a visual representation of what we all wanted to see in Inglorious Bastard. And he empowered this small group of men to go be Nazi killers and got to show us what it was like. I mean, it was just, and then again, dialogue, suspense, intelligence, action, comedy, Inglorious Bastards. Oh man, incredible. Django, the most underrated performance of all time goes to Jamie Foxx. I think Jamie Foxx is top five most talented guys in the history of Hollywood, easily. You know, I don't know about his ego, I don't know about him personally too much, and I'm sure it's gotta be really high because that dude has more talent and more different things than anybody I've ever seen except for maybe Eddie Murphy. Cause <laughs> sure Elvis could sing, but boy that dude couldn't act. Jamie Foxx can act, sing, dance, do stand up, whatever you want. His, the growth of his character in Django Unchained is as good a performance as anybody has ever put to screen. Christopher Waltz is great, it's a fun character, it's very flamboyant, it's, I, I'm not gonna say easy to play, but I'm a little upset that Christopher Waltz has two Emmy, two Oscars, and John Goodman, I don't even think has a, a nomination. DiCaprio deserved it, because DiCaprio is off the charts incredible in Django. And I'm not a big DiCaprio guy, I don't think he was all that great in uh, Once Upon a Time. They should take away the Oscar for The Revenant and give it to him for Django. He's just absolutely incredible throughout that movie. And so is Sam Jackson. Oh my god, that movie. Again, you got two and a half hours, spend it watching that movie. Two hours and 45 minutes. Reservoir Dogs. Game changer. A lot of game changers, dude. Tarantino at the very beginning, first directed movie, first movie that he wrote and directed. What? And that movie is sensational. That movie is a stage play for film, and nobody's ever been able to pull that off that well. Uh, Michael Madsen. Mr. Blonde. Whoa, dudes, come on. Uh, Tim Roth. Mr. Orange. Everybody in it. Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. Mr. Pink. That movie has 18 different memorable parts, and Steve Buscemi is probably the most memorable part of it. And in probably the least of it. But he, I, really, that movie really introduced us to Buscemi, Madsen, Keitel was great in it. 
Uh, there's so much great, you can't, oh gosh. I'm gonna watch that one again soon. Uh, and then again, going back to writing and then hating, Tarantino did Natural Born Killers, wrote it and then disavowed it because Oliver Stone, who makes great movies, is a psycho too, from what I heard. I don't know, I can't, like, all this is hearsay. It's all uh, Nick Myth. Nick Myth! Uh, Natural Born Killers is so well made and so good. Robert Downey Jr. kills it, puts on a British accent, no big deal, whatever. But Woody Harrelson and Jennifer Juliet Lewis, sorry, Juliet Lewis, Juliet Lewis, Juliet Lewis, Juliet Lewis, Juliet Lewis, dudes, Juliet Lewis and Woody Harrelson. That movie, Rodney Dangerfield, dudes, come on. Finally got some respect. Go watch Natural Born Killers. Uh, Quentin, I'm sorry you don't love it, but I, I, I still consider that a Quentin Tarantino movie, even though Oliver Stone directed it in a totally Oliver Stone way. But that movie is sensational. Again, Here we go. being able the zeitgeist of American culture and re and basically tell that story 25 years ahead of time. Uh, this is basically the anti-heroes that everybody's loving, who are now the most important people in culture and stuff. I only left that in because I am amazed at how stupid that sounded, dudes. Once Upon a Time, really great love letter to Hollywood. I've lived in LA for a quarter of a century. I love this town. I love the history of this town. Really cool movie. A lot of fun. Best suspense scene I've ever seen in the history of film. I've never seen or felt anything like that. Uh, especially collectively with a, a great audience on opening night. Okay. That scene with Pitt. There's a couple times where you're watching that movie and you're just like, oh yeah, Pitt's probably the greatest movie star of all time. Brad Pitt is that whole movie. The end of it, again, same thing. Almost like uh, Bastards and Django is the dude flips the script and gives you the most happy, satisfying ending you could ask for. Man, Once Upon a Time's a great, it's a great, great movie, but uh, I would have liked to have seen somebody other than Leo in that part, but that's me. Kurt Russell's great in it. Jack Burton, me. Uh, I hate that Bruce Lee scene. I hate that. Uh, that's why Once Upon a Time is so far down on the list. Uh-oh. Uh uh, sometimes uh, my doggy coughs when I get on my high horse and talk too much about Once Upon a Time, but Bruce Lee scene, it, totally unnecessary. 100% feels like a an absolute betrayal to the man. And, you know, blah, 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 I understand what you're trying to do, but uh, there's just no need for it. Why Why make the guy a big mouth jerk off who our tough guy character can beat up? And then he writes a book about, I mean, like, I don't know. I just think it's weird. And it really took me out of the movie. Al Pacino is horrendous in that movie. Horrendous. That part is terrible. Yeah, there's like, I don't know, 25 minutes he can cut out of it. Uh, whatever, I, this isn't a thing. Once Upon a Time, really great movie. Uh, watch the Brad Pitt stuff. The rest of it's okay, but Brad Pitt is beyond, beyond, beyond in there. He went from movie star to greatest movie star of all time because of that movie and made a, a good movie great. Pitt made a good movie great in that one. Kill Bill 1 and 2, wow, incredible films. Uma Thurman, absolutely incredible. A lot of weird kind of... Uh, you know, stuff in retrospect, you look back and you see sort of like, can you be less specific? Uh, just sort of a weird situation where she's in a coma in the hospital. Never, never was comfortable with it. Not that I, again, that I'm on my high horse, just again, uh, what I feel like is unnecessary storytelling. But, you know, also a friggin' true reality of life. And something that just because I'm not comfortable with it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So, although it might disturb me and stuff that stuff actually happens you just you know i don't want to be vague about it but you hate to see that happen to characters you really like even if it makes the revenge even sweeter blah 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 but kill bill one 
good gosh, one of the most enjoyable movies you'll ever watch in your life. Kill Bill 2's uh, fun in a great conclusion, but uh, uh, again, both of them could have been cut down into two movies. But that was kind of around the time of uh, Lord of the Rings 1, 2, and 3, and trilogies and stuff like that, and Tarantino being Tarantino was like, I can make these into two movies, and it probably was better served as one. Both of them, great movies. One, as good as it gets. It's really just... Man, I love Uma in that movie. I just love Uma in that movie. She's such a badass. She gives such strength oh, and no. parallel levels and everything to it. So if you can, I would totally check out Kill Bill 1. Kill Bill 2. Um, not going to lie, David Carradine, probably the worst part of that movie, and he's Bill. So uh, kind of tough to jump on the surfboard for the whole wave in that one. And uh, a little... Just not as uh, enjoyable. Plus, there was like a year or so between the releases, and uh, he didn't maintain that same energy and passion from the first one. The second one was a little more whatever. Michael Madsen, Bud again, Vega, great. Daryl Hannah, great. Lucy Liu, oh my god, Lucy Liu and Kill Bill One, great. A lot of fun. Watch them all. Watch everything the guy has done, written all of it. You can't go wrong. But uh, that's sort of my, my list. And then you have Death Proof, which is uh, what it is, and Hateful Eight, the only one I can't recommend. I, uh, stage play, really cool. Apparently the script got leaked online, freaked him out, he totally changed it, which probably made it a whole different movie. And Kurt Russell is one of my favorites of all time, and I just... Snake Plissken, me. Unfortunately didn't connect to that movie. Again, that movie takes a huge left turn in the right lane uh, midway through the movie with Sam Jackson man oh man I was like t it took me out of the movie and I couldn't get back and didn't care what happened plus the age range between brother and sister of Channing Tatum and Jennifer Jason Lee I, I just not for me and uh, if you if you're like me and you don't really like it uh, good for you you're just being honest uh, about a great the, easily the best the best writer director the best director ever Quentin Tarantino um, so that is my number nine. Holy crap, we're getting through it, guys. We're getting through it. Holy jeez. So, I'm not a big drama guy. I don't like going outside of my house to cry. You know, like the furthest I like to go is my car. So, I don't really like to go out and collectively cry. I don't really like to go out and collectively. I don't really like to go out and cry with a group of people. So much so that I can't even say it, dudes. And I don't like to be manipulated into stories of really sad stuff. I technically don't know if that's officially a sentence. I'm not a big tearjerkers guy, but dang it, if these movies don't tug my heart and can really do some really uh, wonderful things for you in your life. So when I was a little kid, uh, my dad took me to see the movie The Champ. There was a movie called The Champ, and it was with uh, this guy Ricky Schroeder. He's obviously not a kid anymore. He was five when they made the movie. And he gets the greatest child performance of all time. Like, it's almost unfair for him because there was nowhere to go but down because he was so incredible in that part. And John Voight was the dad, and he plays a boxer. And I don't even want to ruin it for you, but every time that movie comes on, it just, like, stirs up some stuff. It's just a beautiful, beautiful story about a father and son and uh, the greatest kid performance of all time. And it was based on a movie of the same name, The Champ, from like the 20s with Charlie Chaplin and... Uh, Classic stoner, man. So The Champ was made with Jackie Coogan, who did star in The Kid with Charlie Chaplin. But Jackie Coogan starred in The Champ with Wallace Berry. 
Another great movie. Um, I think it was Charlie Chaplin. I could be Barry. totally wrong. I don't know if that champ is the same as this one, but or that might just be the kid. Ah, uh, this guy. Yeah, I don't know. But there was a, a no. Jackie Coogan, I believe, was in the champ. Jackie Coogan is the reason that uh, people aren't allowed to abuse kids on uh, on television sets anymore. There's a thing called the Coogan Law, which is the reason people should be looking out for children on the sets of films. Think about it. The court of law had to tell the studios, like, hey, don't do this to kids. Anyway, uh, the guy's parents stole all his money, but when he was a kid, he was in this movie called The Champ where he was a little heartbreaking kid. I don't think it was um, um, The Little Tramp. Let me check. I'll check. Yeah, I'm totally Check. still confusing it with the kid. Champ. It is true. I have burned through some memory cells, but I didn't know I was using them. I burped. 1931. Yep. Directed by Wallace. No, who cares? It was with Wallace Berry and Jackie Cooper. I did it! So Cooper was a little kid whose dad was a boxer. Holy crap, could this kid act. So it was Jackie Cooper, not Jackie Coogan. So I knew what I was talking about and had no idea what I was talking about. That's amazing. He ended up playing Uncle Fester. That's like the funniest part, was this kid who was probably the, the greatest child actor until Ricky Schroeder came along. Wrong. Jackie Coogan played Uncle Fester. Also ends up being like one of the greatest weird characters of all time. Damn it if that kid didn't have it all. But if you can, check out, if you want to cry, if you want to cry your hearts out and you're a little boy and you can really understand the, the relationship between a, a little boy and his daddy, man oh man, that movie will beat you up. The, uh, the 1979 version, again, the, that kid, holy jeez, what a job. Then, same thing, you're gonna notice a theme with me, Field of Dreams, oh my goodness. My friend had to carry, like, I had to put my arm around her shoulder and she had to carry me like out of the theater. Like that one, that's the greatest, one of the greatest last lines and our greatest last scenes in the history movies. Great build up, great fantasy. Um, Field of Dreams, a beautiful story. Loved the book and then I saw the movie, which I almost never do, and the book's very different. The book is good. The movie is great. And if you love baseball, which I do, what a cool movie. Big Fish, holy jeez, are we sensing a theme here? Uh, Ewan McGregor and Albert Finney. Wow, Tim Burton, Danny DeVito, good lord. That movie just keeps getting better and better and better. Francis, um, nah, she played Francis Farmer. Jessica uh, Lange, dude. Oh, man. How do I forget her name? Julie, J Jen, J Get in there. Oh no, dude. She was just in that movie. Um, she was also in King Kong. Which one? Well, she plays the wife, and she is just sensational. Just that movie is just great. It's a great movie about being a bad son. Not, not being a bad son. It's really about being able to let go of all the things you were upset about when you were a kid, now that you're an adult, blah, blah, blah. Well, Professor Summary, I believe you've done it again. What a beautiful movie. All told, like, fantasy style. Uh, I guess like Field of Dreams. It's great. Uh, Terms of Endearment. That movie has emotionally destroyed me and will always emotionally destroy me. That's a movie about a mother and a daughter and the difficulties in, in life, things that they go through, and that's Shirley MacLaine and Deborah Winger. And that is like watching Muhammad Ali and Mike Tyson fight. What? They were so good in it. Jack Nicholson's got a funny little role. He's really good in it. I think he won an Oscar, but that was just like, you know, they do that. But that movie is so, and Jeff Daniels, oh, he's, he's the perfect creep. Uh, check out that movie. That's a, a great, great movie. Gotta be really tough for mothers and daughters too, but really just incredible movie. Gravity, I feel, is, is sort of along the same lines, uh, except it's a uh, science fiction movie that takes the place of what 
uh, grief is all about and what isolation and loneliness is. Gravity, wow, the, the end of that movie, the journey throughout that movie and then the end of that movie touches me deeply every time. The Mr. Rogers documentary. <laughs> Caution, changing lanes. There's a scene in that thing, oh, oh, oh man. Like I, I saw that one in the theaters too. It was me and like a whole bunch of old people. And we sobbed. It's, it, but it's a beautiful sob. It's not a sad one. It's a beautiful sob. And uh, now I'm just like the the embarrassing tear jerkers for me. I cried my eyes out in The Incredibles. I'm not gonna lie. That movie made me so happy because like I'm not bragging, but I came from a good family. And to see really decent depictions of good families on on uh, screen is really heartwarming. I love The Incredibles. But what really got me was when. Uh, Violet couldn't save her brother, and she was like telling her mom, and she felt all bad about it, man. That really, uh, man. <laughs> I really felt bad for Violet. Then the fact that she was able to help the family, dude, come on, man. I legitimately got choked up listening to me getting choked up about that scene from The Incredibles. That was a great movie. Uh, Snakes on a Plane, sort of similar thing. So, uh, like right before these two little boys get on the plane, and the kid's dad's like, hey, son, Take care of your little brother, all right? And he's like, ah, and I'll, I'll you know, I'll be, well, you got it. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that was how it was written in the script. But he's like, okay. And then his little brother, of course, gets bit by a snake, and this kid just starts sobbing to like the, the, uh, the, the guy from Saturday Night Live. He's like, ah, I told my dad I'd take care of my brother, and I wasn't able to take care of my brother, dude. I started crying so hard. I felt so bad for that kid. But I got it. That was that was a pretty good movie. And then of course X Men. I, I cried during uh, that fight. That was deserved. Endgame. I cried during Endgame. I, I must have cried my head off like a thousand times. Dark Knight Rises. Cried my head off at the very end. That movie got me at the end. Holy mackerel! They blindsided me. And then Michael Caine just sitting there. I said I will protect you, and I failed you. Oh man, dude, that one just hit me out of the park. Um, so tearjerkers can kind of come from anywhere, uh, but those are the ones I highly recommend. If you have those sort of similar issues, uh, those are great movies that are, are real, uh, real tearjerkers, real emotional drama-filled movies, so if you like that kind of stuff, those are them. Alright dudes, that was number eight on the list of movie things that Stonerman recommends and stuff. I don't have an official name because I'm an idiot, and I think I've proven that again. Stay stony, my friends.